The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back, Buffalo Bills fans. It's Matt Warren, editor-in-chief at buffalorumblings.com and the host of Buffalo Rumblings Q&A on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. Hopefully you had a good Christmas. Uh, the Buffalo Bills did their best to make that happen uh, on December 26th by beating the New England Patriots and retaking the lead in the AFC East. Of course, we're going to talk about that game and much more going forward. But before we do that, I wanted to remind you that you can send in your questions for next week's episode at 716-508-0405. You can tweet us at Rumlin's Q&A. That's with the word and spelled out in the middle. You can send us Facebook or Instagram messages to the official Buffalo Rumlings account. Email us buffalorumlings at sbnation.com. There are plenty of ways for you to get in touch with the show and make it a much, much more interesting event each week. So the Buffalo Bills defeat the New England Patriots, and probably by now you all know that means if they win their last two games that they are the AFC East champion for the second year in a row. The Buffalo Bills face the Atlanta Falcons and New York Jets over those last two weeks, and their chances of making the playoffs jumped way up to um, the mid-90s after uh, beating the New England Patriots and getting uh, a key loss from the Los Angeles Chargers to the Houston Texans. So there's a lot of good news around the NFL this week. Um, and our questions reflected that this week. Uh, normally it's kind of a, a complaining session, uh, and that's what a lot of the questions are about. We always get more listens when the Bills win, and we get more questions when the Bills lose. So uh, we'll, we'll have a little bit of both this week. Um, hopefully we'll have a lot of listens and uh, and some really good questions uh, but before we get to that, I wanted to talk through my takeaways from the game. And remember, I write these during the game, so it's my immediate reactions as uh, as the game's sort of unfolding. Just like most of you, um, Isaiah McKenzie really, really surprised me on Sunday against New England Patriots. He was benched a few weeks ago against the Patriots uh, because Sean McDermott said he wanted someone he could trust with the wind swirling back to uh, return punts and kicks. So he put Micah Hyde back there uh, to do just that and make sure he was able to collect the ball. McKenzie responded on social media back then with just saying, oh, like kind of a some surprise or, or irritation. 
But he responded in a big way on Sunday against the Patriots when he had his chance. With Cole Beasley and Gabe Davis out due to COVID-19 positives, uh, McKenzie was the trusted man on Buffalo's offense. He and Stephon Diggs led the way in targets, receptions. Um, McKenzie led in yards. It was a remarkable day for Isaiah McKenzie. He may have scored uh, three touchdowns against the Miami Dolphins in the season finale a year ago, but this win was way more important. And with Beasley out, the stakes were a lot higher. So he's just the second player to nab 10-plus catches in a game for the Bills this year. Um, he had career highs with 11 catches, 125 yards, and a touchdown. Plus, he drew a bunch of penalties and had one run for negative one yards, but that wasn't that great. <laughs> um, speaking of offensive players that really stepped up, uh, Devin Singletary really proved that he wasn't soft and set the tone for the entire game for the Buffalo Bills, I thought, with um, his first drive on that opening drive. He had five touches, gaining 32 yards, including dragging Patriots defenders for half of those yards, uh, breaking tackles into the fourth quarter. Um, on the drive to put Buffalo up by 12, he fought hard to the two-yard line, and on the next play, fought through a tackle to put it into the end zone. We may have been too harsh on his physicality, but really he showed us something that he hasn't before. So I don't think it was our mistake thinking he was soft. I think he was, and he wanted to prove something against the New England Patriots this past weekend. His yards per attempt were still not great, but his yards per touch are good because of the passing game stats he put up. So, you know, it's it's kind of that double-edged sword. Um, I don't think he's the long-term answer, but he had a nice game against the New England Patriots. So Josh Allen, who, um, you know, just take what they give you. And he did that over and over again. He found underneath passes uh, to complete. He was accurate with them. He was a good decision maker with those. And if you watch any of the other games around the NFL this week, you saw a lot of quarterbacks try to fit it in um, against much better coverage and just not be able to to find an open man or try to you know thread the needle between two defenders when there was a guy open underneath. And that's what Allen did so well all game was just find the open guy underneath. That eventually opened up the... Um, the mid-range to longer-range passing game um, on those crossing routes to McKenzie. But the Patriots tried to keep Buffalo from a breakout play, um, making a huge play, especially in the first half. And um, Allen was 6.5 yards per attempt on the first two drives with four completions to Devin Singletary, three to Isaiah McKenzie, and one to Reggie Gilliam. So, you know, obviously checkdowns, obviously, you know, safety valves, things like that. 78 yards through the air plus a nice ground game was enough to move the ball down the field for those first two scores, though. So he got 78 yards passing, but it wasn't six, seven, eight yards at a time. That takes a lot of patience. That's exactly what the Bills were trying to do earlier this year to Patrick Mahomes. Keep making him make the pass. And so eventually you hope that he's going to get flustered or impatient and do something dumb with the ball, but Josh Allen never did. We didn't need Hero Josh in this game, and that was really nice to see. He did end up throwing some just absolutely astounding passes as the game wore on, where you know the level of difficulty was a lot higher. But at least at the start, it was those little dink and dunk things. He finished the day with 314 yards, three touchdowns, and a solid day at the quarterback position. 
A lot of that was because of the offensive line, and I gave them a game ball in my takeaways column. It's... <laughs> We've been so down on the offensive line all year, but they really stepped up with you know, a lot of adversity. Uh, Deion Dawkins came off the COVID list very late in the week. He'd been on the list for a week. Um, Cody Ford and John Feliciano were on the COVID list because they tested positive. Uh, so we had you know Spencer Brown, Ike Bucker, Mitch Morris, Ryan Bates, and Daryl Williams start the game. But then... Bucker went down with an Achilles injury and they just had to completely blow up the offensive line again, moving people all over the place to positions they hadn't practiced in a long time for some of them, maybe ever uh, for some of them. So Dawkins came back in. He was emergency backup, according to Sean McDermott in his Monday press conference. They didn't want him to have to play because they were, weren't sure about his um, conditioning. Um, they weren't sure if he was going to be able to bounce back right away, especially because, you know, he was already operating under, you know, a, a weird baseline because he got hospitalized with COVID uh, over the summer. So he just never kind of worked his way back into where he felt super comfortable. Um, he did that over the last couple of weeks. He was looking really good before his latest bout with COVID. And so they were just going to kind of work him back slowly in this game. But he ended up playing really, really well at left tackle um, that flipped Spencer Brown back to right tackle, moving Daryl Williams back inside to right guard. And then uh, they put Ryan Bates in at left guard instead of right guard. So almost every single person on the offensive line switched positions, everybody except Mitch Morse, the center. And they kept Josh Allen upright and clean all day. They didn't allow a sack, even though they were all moving around and playing uh, different sides. I mean, Spencer Brown had to go from the left side of the line to the right side of the line. So everything about muscle memory, completely throw it out the window. I thought he was really impressive uh, being able to, to do that. So now uh, they move forward without Ike Bucker. Hopefully they can get back um, either John Feliciano or Cody Ford this week. Uh, they signed Bobby Hart to the active roster to take Ike Bucker's spot. Um, and for those of you guys that are complaining, well, why can't they find somebody better than Bobby Hart? I mean, look around the NFL. Every team is dealing with problems at the offensive line positions. You know, it's just not realistic to think they can be like, you know, super awesome there. Lots of takeaways today. Uh, moving to the defense, Micah Hyde and the defense are underrated. The Patriots were one of 10 on third downs. Mac Jones was 14 of 32 for 139 yards and zero touchdowns. Um, four and a half yards per attempt is just absolutely dreadful uh, for Mac Jones. And uh, Hyde finished with two picks. It just, they had a really, really solid day. And most people are talking about how awesome Josh Allen was, and he was awesome. Uh, but the defense had a really, really solid day shutting down the New England Patriots. Um, you know, in, in that swirling win, they had. 240 something yards and then this week they had 280 something yards with you know normal wind normal weather conditions and so the bills really uh, put the clamps down on the new england patriots at the end of the first half um there's that little kerfuffle uh a lot of patriots fans were talking about that monday morning um and i knew they would be which is why i put it in my takeaways on sunday it um it wasn't a turning point in the game, but I thought it could have been a turning point in the game. It could have been a really important series for the New England Patriots. Jerry Hughes 
put his hands on Mac Jones, escorting him out of bounds. It was probably a little bit late. It was probably unnecessary. Uh, but he grabs him and tries to hold him up, which, again, I, I don't know why that he was doing that. Um, but the refs ended up picking up the flag uh, because they thought it wasn't a dirty hit, which I just I'm still surprised by. I, I don't recall the Bills having a flag picked up off the ground in a in quite some time, especially in a moment like that. Um, it did not sit well with the Patriots. And so Trent Brown, the right tackle, said something before the next snap. They got flagged. So it was a 30-yard swing um, based on them picking up the Bills flag and then assessing a flag to the New England Patriots. Uh, it was a net zero because neither team scored at the end of the half. But really, if, if, if the Patriots get that extra 15 yards on the end of that run, you know, they're really in business to be able to put points on the board right before the end of the first half. So it it felt like the right call uh, to not flag Jerry Hughes. I'm just still surprised it happened. And then my final takeaway, Brian Dable, Matt Hawk, and expectations. The Bills didn't punt. It was the first time in Bill Belichick's career he hadn't forced an opponent to punt at least once in a game. Um I thought Brian Dable was really, really good. Uh, I've been singing his praises all year. Um, despite people complaining about red zone efficiency, this, that, or the other thing, I, I've been singing his praises all year, and it just continued in this game. The Bills had the ball nine times, and if you take out the end of both halves, they had seven drives that were meaningful. They scored on six of them and had a turnover on downs. On that turnover on downs, the ball hit Emmanuel Sanders in the breadbasket and he dropped it. So the Bills had really seven scoring drives out of seven possible drives. It was just absolutely great, guys. Punter Matt Hawk did a great job of holding for Tyler Bass on field goal and extra point attempts. It was just a really nice game to watch. Um, for those folks that are saying that it was closer than it needed to be or that the, the Patriots almost made a comeback, I just I completely disagree with that. The Bills were in control of that game from the moment they forced a three and out on the first drive. It was just a really fun game to watch, and I'm sure very frustrating for Patriots fans. We've been on the other side of that game over and over again, and so it was nice to be able to do the same thing to New England. I know that was a lot of takeaways, but we've got a couple questions for when we come back, so don't go anywhere. All right, over to Twitter, where Andrew Sunday asks us, it seems like our offensive tackles dominated one-on-one matchups with help from chipping tight ends and running backs, which allowed the interior offensive line to play off each other instead of having to assist outside. It seemed like our OL struggles when OTs are getting beat by good defensive ends. Did you see this too? Well, I'll say a, a couple different things. I, I think you're dead on when the, the offensive tackles are getting beat by good defensive ends. Uh, there's trouble, but we've also ha- seen in games when the interior offensive line is the part that gets blown up. Um, I didn't see... I, I, I know they've kept in Dawson Knox to block more often than in the past. And so... That was able to help out a little bit. I also think that the Patriots 
uh, defensive ends were just lacking some juice. Matt Judon is their Pro Bowl pass rusher. He has 12 and a half sacks on the year, but he was just kind of non-existent against the Bills. And then on Monday, he was placed on the COVID-19 list. So perhaps he was starting to feel the effects of that virus and was slowed by that um, development, maybe is the right way to say it. Um, He just wasn't very effective against the Buffalo Bills, and perhaps that's the reason why. I know they kept Kyle Van Noy back in coverage more often than they normally do as well um, because Josh Allen was kind of tearing it up. So I think those are two possible answers for why the, the Patriots pass rush wasn't very successful against the Buffalo Bills. Um, of course, with the Judon stuff being incredibly important, be, not just for him, you know, in the grand scheme of things, but for the Buffalo Bills on the, um, the offensive line. I will say this. I don't think it's a sign that they've figured it out going forward. Um, they are still going to have struggles against pass rushers around the NFL into the postseason, and they're going to have to figure out a way to scheme around it. Josh Allen, obviously, is a human cheat code with some of that being able to avoid pressure in the backfield. And you know, he's going to have to do that some more and be Superman for this offensive line. Uh, but getting guys back healthy is certainly going to help. And um, I know I said it earlier in the year that I thought the Bills had some of the best depth on the offensive line in the NFL. And that's obviously being tested right now um, with their three top interior uh, guards being out by the end of that game, um, they had, they still had guys that they could plug in. And even if they had had one more injury, they would have had Bobby Hart. And, you know, people want to trash Cody Ford or Bobby Hart, but those guys are what depth options look like in the NFL on the offensive line. Thanks for your question over on Twitter at Rumlings Q and A. Jack Nealon says, New England was content to make sure Allen didn't beat them deep. Were you surprised it was McKenzie and not Knox with the big game? Well, we've seen that Dawson Knox is a great security blanket uh, for Josh Allen, but this week that meant that he had to stay in and block a little bit more. I don't have the stats for that in front of me, so maybe I'm off base on this, but it felt like they kept him in more often than not and then ran McKenzie on those crossing routes. If you've seen uh, his route tree, it... It just is like running all over the place across the formation. Um, those you know mid-tier crossing routes, um, even the deep crossers for Isaiah McKenzie. And that's what they were trying to do to get him isolated on, on one guy trailing him, which is why he um, drew a couple of those holding calls because he was quicker than uh, the defender. So those are longer developing routes as well. And so they needed to keep in Knox to to help with the offensive line issues that we just discussed. So uh, I'm not surprised by it. Um, I was surprised that McKenzie was such a focal point. I'll say that. I'm not surprised that it came at the expense of Knox. Um, So maybe that's your question. Uh, Jack asked a follow-up too. Does Stevenson uh, being a reliable return man open up more opportunities uh, for McKenzie in offensive sets? I think it absolutely does. I think they were... A little bit hesitant to use McKenzie earlier this year on offense because he was the main returner. You know, they took out those jet sweeps. They took out a lot of those McKenzie-designed plays on offense. Um, And I think it does have a lot to do with his importance in the return game. But now that he's not there, 
he, there's more opportunities for him on the offense. So I think those are two very good questions uh, from Jack Nealon over on Twitter. We're going to close out today's show with kind of a more long-term question from TJ Wachs, who says, this might be an overreaction. What are the possibilities of Bees and Star not being on the roster next year? Spot Track says $1.5 million in dead cap, $5.2 million opt-out on Star. I don't see trades as being an option. What are your thoughts? I don't think trades are an option either. Um, I do think that there's a really good chance that Cole Beasley's not here next year, and it has everything to do with his production to cash situation. I think he's lost a step. Um, he's still very good at finding soft spots in zone coverage, but as teams shift to man-to-man, he has problems because I think he's lost a step. And so I don't think he's going to be a focal point of their offense next year. And at his price tag, let me look it up while I'm talking here. He's due $4.9 million in base salary next year. The Bills would save that uh, by releasing him. He's got a a $1 million roster bonus as well. Um, While $500,000 of that is due on the fifth day of the league year, and he can earn the rest um, by playing in games during the 2022 season. So um, they could save $5.5 million by releasing him, if not more, um, based on you know how many games he ends up playing and all that stuff. So I, I think it's kind of a no-brainer um, that they would save that much money um, and get rid of a guy who's not a focal point of their offense anymore. Even with, I mean, he does have great catch numbers, um, but I think he's lost a step, and it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. So I would rather be out on Beasley a year too early than a year too late, even though we're in the prime of Josh Allen's career. Um, I just don't see it as a good financial investment to keep Cole Beasley around. Now, with Star Latulale, I was way more on the fence about him earlier in the year because he was playing really, really well. And I thought that a year ago he was going to be the guy that was end up being released, just like you said. But when he played so well to start the season, I was like, well, maybe I guess they should keep him around. As his play has become, has kind of leveled off, and now he has this personal issue, um, he's dealt with COVID, he hasn't really been available, um, Harrison Phillips has stepped up and played really, really well. So I think if I had to choose between the two of them, I could cut Star Latulale and sign Harrison Phillips to a smaller contract and still upgrade at the position this offseason with you know a top pick that's been one of my focus focus points um this year is that one tech defensive tackle getting that stud guy in there not an adequate guy like harrison phillips um but like a real top level one tech defensive tackle and so if you get rid of star give some of that money you saved to harrison phillips to keep him around and then draft that one tech defensive tackle in you know the first two or three rounds i think you're off to a really good start reshaping that defensive line. It can't continue the way it has. I think the Bills are going to invest heavily again in that defensive line. They've spent a bunch of first-round picks there. Um, Their top pick last year uh, when they didn't have a first-round pick was A.J. Epinesa, um, Ed Oliver, uh, Greg uh, Greg Russo, uh, Boogie Basham. Just go down the list. They've invested heavily in that position, and I think I want to see them do it again. Uh, with one tech defensive tackle. So um, it wouldn't surprise me if either of them, both of them, were off the roster 
uh, next year. So thanks for your question, Walks, over on Twitter. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Buffalo Rumblings Q&A. As always, please check out the rest of the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network. There are tons of great shows on there. And if you haven't given a listen to one or more of our hosts, just go check it out uh, one time. You know, every one of our hosts is different. That's one of the things that I like about our podcast network is that each show just has a different tone, a different tenor to it. And so if you don't like one, you might like the next one that pops into your feed. So, so go check one out. Um, leave your questions for us over at 716-508-0405. You can tweet us at Rumblings Q&A with the word and spelled out in the middle. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail at 716-508-0405. Text messages work on that number as well Um, there are just plenty of ways to get in touch with our show and ask your questions for next week's episode up next we have the atlanta falcons it's a home game one o'clock and uh hopefully the bills don't have a letdown um, because now they're in the driver's seat and uh, they can control their own destiny all the way to probably the number three seat maybe even up to the number two seat so uh, we'll uh we'll, we'll keep track of that as always go bills